If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm only going to read two verses out of this passage. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time you have given us in your word. And Lord, I pray simply but also boldly, God, that this morning there would be a life changed in these pews for you. And as we just sang, God, would we be ready? Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. As has no doubts uh, skipped your attention this morning, <clears throat> every year about this time, I sound like this for a couple of weeks. It is the closest I will ever get to sounding like Adrian Rogers and not like Barney Fife. <laughs> so I'll just let you know ahead of time. It doesn't hurt. It just sounds really funny. <clears throat> the context of John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21 is important as we look at this passage this morning. It actually begins in John chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. Through 25. So in John 2, 13 through 25, Jesus has entered Jerusalem and, uh, to celebrate the Passover. And it seems, at least according to John's account, that Jesus went directly to the temple. Now, something happened when he got to the temple. Uh, you remember this story? Jesus took a whip and he braided it. And he drove the money changers out of the temple. He drove the animals out of the temple. He flipped tables over in the presence of everyone there. And he did this and declared the temple to be his father's house, which was to be a house of prayer. After he did this, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they asked him for a sign to prove his authority. They asked him for a sign to show that he was, in fact, the Messiah. To which he responded that the sign that would show that would be his resurrection. But neither his disciples nor the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, uh, they did not understand what he was saying. Then in verses 23 through 25, John tells us that many believed in Jesus' name because of the signs and the wonders that he was performing. However, John is also quick to tell us in verses 24 and 25 of John chapter 2, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. 
So we have this epidemic of people, both Jewish and uh, the Jewish leaders and his disciples, who don't understand Jesus. They don't really understand what he's doing. They don't understand what he's saying, and they cannot repre- or they cannot recognize the kingdom of God. And Jesus did not give himself to them simply because he knew their hearts and he knew that they were only there to see a sign or to see a miracle. And that is where John leaves us to begin John chapter 3 that we're much more familiar with. But first, I want to tell you a story. You've heard me talk about this before, but growing up, I played a lot of baseball. If you're not a baseball fan, I'm sorry. Um, I am. So, I played a lot of baseball, and specifically, I played a lot of baseball with my brother, my younger brother, and we played a lot in the front yard, and our front yard was set up in such a way where we kind of designed our own field, and we were able to play nonstop all the time, and most of the time we played with a tennis ball, uh, which, my, which is amazing. My parents were perfectly okay with, even though we were technically hitting directly at the house, and they were fine with it because it was a tennis ball, um, but... Every now and then when we weren't hitting and we were just taking grounders or whatever else, one of us would stand by the house and then hit grounders out toward our front fence. And so we would would field the ball and do things like that. Well, um, if you know anything about baseball, then you know something. I I was, um, growing up, I played on a team in Little League, and our our name uh, was the Cardinals. We were, it looked just like the St. Louis Cardinals. So it was the Cardinals. And I played shortstop. And the number on the back of my jersey was number one. If you know anything about baseball, then you know that's the number of my all-time hero in baseball, and that's Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith, maybe, many believe, I'm sorry, Derek Jeter, many believe, the greatest shortstop to ever play baseball. That's it, right there, I love it, right? And, And he was so amazing. Sure, I mean, there were seasons where he couldn't hit his way out of a wet paper bag, but he could catch and throw like nobody's business. He was one of the greatest defensive players to ever play baseball. And you would see him do things where other guys would never reach that ball. But he could just, I mean, he just could do it. So much so that he could make throws other people couldn't make. He could make catches other people couldn't make. And people started saying, well, it's like magic. And that's how he got his nickname. Uh, Ozzie Smith was known as the Wizard. Um, And that's what he's called even in the Hall of Fame to this day, the Wizard. And so because of that, you know, I play shortstop, I'm on the Cardinals, I'm number one, so I figure I'm Ozzie Smith, right? So we're in the front yard, and, and we're, my brother's hitting me grounders, but I'm, I'm scooping them up, and I'm firing them back at him and, and everything else. And so it's, it's, we're just having fun, and <clears throat> my dad pulls into the driveway with my mother's brand new car. Yeah, you already know where this is going, don't you? And he pulls in. Of course, my dad played baseball with us my whole life. And so he pulled up and he said, now, boys, I don't want you getting anywhere near this car. Stay away from the drive. Stay away from this side of the property. Don't even come near it. All right, Dad, we got it. We got it. He goes inside. Boy, my brother's just hitting me ground and I'm throwing him back. And then he hits one. To my right side, and I'm right-handed, so I, I got to go with my glove like this. So I run, and it bounces, and I grab it, and then I pull that Ozzie Smith deal. Two turns in the air, and you know your mind can work really fast. Like, I mean, split-second stuff. And I fire that ball. About the time to realize that I'm about eight feet further over than I thought I was. I'm in the driveway, and I fire that ball. 
and I know exactly what's about to happen. So does my brother. That's why he runs away. (laughs) I fire that ball, and there is, we can hear and see, a hail of red plastic and glass just, I mean, just explodes. I hit the, 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 the driver's side brake light assembly with that baseball. My mother had not owned this car for maybe 20 minutes. It didn't go well after that. But, see, when my dad pulled up, he said, don't do this. And then he even got more specific. And, and specifically, don't go here Don't do this. I had all the knowledge in the world. I had everything I needed to be able to obey my father. And yet, all the knowledge in the world was not enough to lead to a change in me and in my actions. I knew what my dad had told me, but it didn't change my actions And this was extremely evident when I was standing in the driveway, my brother had run away, and my dad walked out the front door. See, it's possible to know a lot of information and not be changed by it. It's possible to know a lot about Jesus and not really know him. It's possible to listen to preachers, to read the Bible, to go to conferences, to attend church regularly, and even be baptized and not ever be transformed by the knowledge you have. But it doesn't have to be that way. See, this morning what we're going to see from this passage, this morning my, my, my request, and I believe God's request of us is, don't settle for information. We need regeneration. Not enough to just know we need to be changed forever. This morning, I want each person in this room to step into this story. I know most of the time we we read John 3, and we know the story of Nicodemus. Many of us do. You hear it from early childhood. In fact, many of us, uh, the first scripture verse that we learn after Jesus wept because we want to be cool and say we learned a memory verse is John 3.16 which is found in this passage, but there's so much more in this passage than just John 3.16. See, you can actually know quite a bit. And, and I want you, at this point, I, I want you to step into this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus like you are Nicodemus. That's what I want us to do this morning. So, so like you're Nicodemus, and maybe you've been in church your whole life, or for a long time, and you know quite a bit. And you even, you even walk up to Jesus with your Bible tucked underneath your arm. And 20 years of Sunday school quarterlies at your house. And yet, you walk up to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I know who you are. I know who you are. That's what Nicodemus says. Look look at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we 
know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So it's really important, again, like I said, the context of John 3 is very important because we think that this story of Nicodemus just kind of jumps out, like they, Jesus was, and he cleansed the temple, and then John gives us a little aside, uh, you know, he, he had no one... He didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in, or he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about them because he knew for himself what was in man. Now it says that he was doing signs and wonders. If you look at verse 23 again, now when he was in Jerusalem of chapter 2, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when, he saw the, when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now listen to Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night in verse 2 of chapter 3 and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs. We read chapter 2 and chapter 3 like they're two completely separate things. They're not two separate things at all. In fact, John is giving us commentary on chapter 3 and then chapter 3 is a story that illustrates what he was saying. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, it's even more clear. Now, we'll say this in verses 24 and 25. It's also setting up something about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. In verses 24, chapter 2, it says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in Man, so Jesus from the very beginning is set up as not just a regular rabbi. He knows everything about everybody. So what is John? John's letting us know from the beginning that Jesus is the son of God. In fact, that's, we know that because John tells us in his gospel that that's why he wrote the gospel. So he tells him that. And then what does he say? This is why it's so important to understand these two chapters together. I'm going to read it again a little bit differently and see if you pick up on it. In verse 24 of chapter 2, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man. In Greek it's actually... The word man is three times in 12 words. John, that's not by accident. John is telling us Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He didn't need anyone to tell him what, uh, what was in man. He knew what was in man. There was a man named Nicodemus. He's about to give us an illustration about what he just said. This is extremely important to understand the context or the concept of what's happening here. So Nicodemus comes to him and he says... Rabbi, rabbi, teacher. Now, Nicodemus did know something about Jesus. He, he knew that he was a teacher. He knew enough to re refer to him by a title of respect. And then in verse 2, we sometimes read this and we want to read the passage like this is Nicodemus who genuinely wants to understand. So he came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody else to see him talking to Jesus um, at night because, you know, he was very inquisitive and wanted to understand. Except the very first thing he says is not, Rabbi, I know. He says, Rabbi, we know. We who? The people he represents. 
the reason he's there. He represents the other Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and the scribes. He represents the religious elite of the day. We know what you are. We know you have come from God. Nicodemus says they acknowledge the miracles that he's doing. They acknowledge it. They even, says, uh, they even say he came from God. And he says, in fact, in verse 2, we know for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So at this point, they don't really know Jesus. I mean, we're just at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. They don't really know him that well. And basically, all they know is that he went in and drove out the money changers, and he flipped over the tables, and he said, my, God, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, which they don't disagree with. That's an Old Testament quote. So, so he's saying all that. They don't really know who he is. So Nicodemus has been sent to figure out this Jesus guy. Is he going to be a problem for us? Is he going to be an issue here? So he goes to him and he begins to talk and ask. And he even says, we know that you come from God. Now it's funny how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes change their tune later on in the New Testament when they say that he does these things by the power of Satan. But here he says, we know you come from God. Nobody could do it. He's, he's buttering him up. He's just trying to find out if this guy is going to be a problem. See, and when we look at this passage, remember again, this is a story of you and me speaking to Jesus. The first thing we know when we come to Jesus, you're sitting in this room this morning. The first thing you can know is sitting right there, Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you have ever had. He knows every intention of your heart. He knows every action you have ever made and every word you have ever spoken. He knows the beginning of you from the end of you. He knows everything about you. Nicodemus didn't recognize that when he came. He didn't realize that when he came up, he figured he was in the, 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 the seat of power. He's the strong one. He knows what's going on. This upstart from Nazareth is here. He doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't realize Jesus knows everything about him. And you can sit in this room all day long, and you can sit in this room week after week after week and have everybody else in this room fooled, but you will never have Jesus fooled. He knows exactly who you are, he knows exactly where you stand. See, you may be talking to Jesus. You may even be able to give some insight into the things he's done. You may be able to look at his word and make some theological connections and, and remember stories and believe you have enough information to say, I know who you are, Jesus. Now remember, it's the conversation between you and Jesus this morning. And you began the conversation by saying, Jesus, I know who you are. You've heard about the amazing things he's done, and you believe you've got this Jesus thing all figured out. And yet, the response you get from Jesus is not what you expected, and it was not what Nicodemus expected. See, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know who you are. And Jesus' response in verses 3 through 10 is, I believe you think you do, but you don't. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom 
of God. So what is Jesus telling? Jesus says that there has to be an intrinsic change in you for you to even see. This is the first one. He says, see, for you to even understand the kingdom of God. The first thing he tells Nicodemus is, you have to be born again to even understand what you're talking about. You notice this interchange is not a gentle, meek, mild, and lowly Jesus, which you'll see in a minute, interacting with a very inquisitive and an interested seeker of the gospel. This is a religious elite leader coming to see if this guy's going to be a problem. And Jesus, the son of God, who knows where his heart is, speaking back to him, saying, you think you know what you're talking about, but you have no idea what you are talking about, nor who you are talking to. You must be born again, because unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the coming of God, the reign of God, which is what Jesus has been declaring since the beginning. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This has been the message from the beginning. So he says, if you're not born again, you can't even understand it. You can't see the kingdom of God. You don't know what you're looking at. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Say, that's a good question. No, it's not. It's not a good question. We hear that and we're like, oh, see, he's being inquisitive. He is not being inquisitive. He's being confrontational. Why? Because no logical human being believes that you can be born physically a second time. That's why he says it exactly the way he does. How can a man be born when he is old? You say, well, how do you know that? Because the next phrase, the next sentence, the next question that Nicodemus asked is not a serious question. It is a sarcastic question. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, Jesus says, or, or he asks the question, can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? This is not a sincere question. This isn't a sincere question at all. In fact, when he asks this question, you have to understand who Nicodemus is. We'll see. He has a title here in a minute. Your translation might say ruler of Israel. It might say teacher of Israel. It's actually, he's the same thing. But this is an official title that Nicodemus held is a role within the Pharisees, a role within the religious elite. This man was considered an expert on the scriptures, an expert on Old Testament prophecy and understanding. He's an expert on all these things, so much so that he's the teacher of Israel. He's the go-to guy. And the go-to guy is not a young man. You didn't achieve that that. that situation you didn't achieve that status until you had been a religious leader for quite some time this was not a young man by any stretch of the imagination and so the very truth is this his mother is either very old but most likely based off the lifespan of the day she's either very old or more nearly she has already passed away so when he asks this question, he knows it's impossible. He's being sarcastic. He's looking at Jesus saying, you're making no sense at all. Can a man really enter into his, his mother's womb a second time? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You say, oh, water, physical birth, spirit, spiritual birth. No, 
Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is making a reference to Old Testament prophecy. He's saying the way that you're born again is that you're made completely new by God. Nicodemus is saying, how can I be born again? I mean, can I really go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus has already told him what? If you've not been born again, you don't even understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something spiritual. And you can't get your mind off the physical. You have no clue what I'm saying. So Jesus says, you have to be born of water and the spirit to what? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the first one, he says, unless you, have, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't understand the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So what does it mean? It means to understand, know, and be a part of the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You must be changed by what you know. Then in verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is just flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you're talking about fleshly birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. He's saying, Nicodemus, you're seeing the effects of the kingdom of God, the signs, the wonders. You're seeing the effects of the kingdom of God. You just don't understand them because you've never been born again. You're seeing the effects of the kingdom of God, but you're not a part of the kingdom of God because you have not been born again. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Again, this is not Nicodemus all of a sudden turning and wanting to trust Jesus. This is a statement of, 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 again, of sarcasm. It's a statement of disbelief. How can these things be? Jesus, you're, you're talking about entering the kingdom of God and seeing the kingdom of God and being born of the Spirit and being born again. And all that. How could this be? How can somebody, he's still on the, how can somebody go into his mother's womb a second time? He, he just does not understand what's going on. And Jesus answered him in verse 10. And this is where Jesus, you find, this is not Jesus meek, lowly, and mild. This is Jesus coming right back at him. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet, you don't understand these things. That's a, that's a shot, okay? That's not Jesus saying, oh, let me help you understand. He says, you're supposed to be the guy who teaches everybody, and you don't even understand it yourself. This is a problem. See, Nicodemus comes to him and says, Jesus, I know exactly who you are. And Jesus responds with, I believe that you think you do, but you have no idea who I am. Remember, this is a conversation between you and Jesus this morning. Jesus repeatedly tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. What you know should change your life. 
It should change the way you act, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live. I heard an illustration one time that I think bears on this story. If I was coming to speak this morning and I was running a little bit late, it's getting closer to the time where I'm supposed to get up here and preach. And Pastor Dana's singing, but he's looking real nervous because I'm not here. And he's looking around for Pastor Greg or Pastor Ed or somebody to come up here and just start talking. Because he's not here. And then I, I come in right before the, the song starts and I sit down. And I'm disheveled significantly so. I mean, it's obvious that I am not put together this morning. My hair's messed up. I got, I got grease and, and stuff all over me. And I'm putting on my microphone. But I'm just being, you can tell. And I, we finish the song. I get up here. I start. And then I say, I'm so sorry that I was so late this morning. I was, I was driving in from out of town and, and my tire went flat and I had to get out and change my tire this morning. And as I was changing my tire, I took the tire off of my, uh, off of my car and, and, I, and I put the new one on and one of the lug nuts rolled away as I was about to put it back on. And without thinking, I just reached out and grabbed one of the lug nuts and turned back around and man, an 18-wheeler nailed me right there in the middle of the road. I mean, he was flying at like 70 miles an hour, and, and he just, pow, he hit me. And after I got up and recovered and finished changing my tire, um, I, came, I came to church, and that's why I'm late. Now, you hear that story, and you go, uh, we don't believe you. I wonder why. The reason you don't believe me is simple. There are all kinds of details and significant things that I probably left out of that story, but there is one thing that you can know for certain, and that is this. When I'm standing in a road and I look and an 18-wheeler hits me going 75 miles an hour, there may be a lot of different things that happen, but I can tell you there is one thing that will happen for certain. My life will be changed forever. If we understand that a human being being hit by an 18-wheeler, their life will be changed forever, how come we think that people can come into a relationship and be born again by the Son of God and know Jesus Christ and yet then turn around and keep living the same way? You cannot be hit by an 18-wheeler and be unchanged. And you certainly cannot meet the God of all creation who made the moon and the stars and gives you the air you breathe. You cannot meet that God and be unchanged. See, he said, you said this morning to Jesus, I know who you are. And Jesus says, I don't think you do. See, there's so many of us that walk in and out of church constantly. We know a lot, but our lives are unchanged. See, Jesus says, I, I believe that you think you do, but you don't. And then Jesus gives us an explanation. He says, let, let me tell you who I really am this morning. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You, as plural. So he's still talking about the religious leaders. You, y'all in Texas, y'all don't get it. And Jesus repeatedly says, we, we. He's not talking about his disciples. He's using Trinitarian language. He's declaring himself to be the son of God. We know these things. Why does he know them? We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you, y'all, do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except, the, uh, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus referring to himself according to Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man, the Messiah. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus said in verses 14 and 15, I am the giver of life. In verse 16, I am the one and only Son of God. And in verse 17, I am the redeeming Savior. Listen to what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. I am the one and only Son of God. And then verse 17, I am the redeeming Savior. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Nicodemus, you this morning, maybe? I know who you are. Jesus saying, I don't think you do because you've never been changed. You must be born again. Let me tell you who I am. I am the giver of eternal life. I am the one and only son of God. I am the redeeming savior. He is far more than the rabbi that Nicodemus thinks he is. He is the son of God, the eternal one. He is the one who has existed with God from time before time. And yet he came onto this earth and died on a cross for you and for me and rose again three days later. So that you and I might have eternal life. And we have that by trusting in him. The one who was lifted up on the cross. As he says here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up. We trust in the one who died for us. And he doesn't leave you the same. He changes you forever. Knowing Jesus changes you forever. And you know, if it was left right here, that'd be really difficult to deal with. But Jesus doesn't. The master teacher himself, he brings it to a point of decision. He brings it to a point of decision. See, Jesus, Nicodemus, maybe you this morning, he comes to him and says, Jesus, I know exactly who you are. Jesus' response, you may think you do, but you really don't. That's obvious because you've never been changed. Let me, let me tell you who I really am. And then verses 18 through 21, he says, now, who are you? Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The first question Jesus asks is, are you one who believes? Or are you one who is condemned? Which one are you? In verses 19 through 21, and this is the judgment, the light, that Jesus has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Uh, do you remember what it said about Nicodemus? Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. He's speaking to Nicodemus. You're in the dark. That's what he said. You, you're unchanged and you're in the dark. That's who you are. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light 
so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus said, I do stuff in the light. That's what he's saying in verse 21. Nicodemus, you came to me in the dark. There's a problem. And this morning, that's really the thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, this should rejuvenate us to know that Jesus knows us. And it should just bring us hope to stand on the truth that he has forever changed me. I am never going to be the same again. But if you're here this morning, and I don't care if it's your first time here, we're glad to have you, but it doesn't matter if it's your first time here or if you've been here for 50 years and you've done every single thing that this church has ever had done. In the end, if you have never been changed, born again, according to the scripture, the old is gone and, the, and all has been made new. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom, the son of his love. If your life has never been changed, then hear me. Are you going to wait and remain and be one of the condemned who lives in the dark? Or are you going to be the one who believes and walks in the light? Are you going to trust Jesus Christ this morning? Are you going to believe and follow him with everything you have? You may know a lot about Jesus. But like I said at the beginning, don't settle for information. You need regeneration. You need to be made new. You need to be born again. And if you have never been changed, like I said, I don't care what you've done and where you've been and all the things that you have participated in. If you know deep down in your heart of hearts that you have never been changed, you can be today. Just trust Jesus Christ, hand it over and say, I want you to rule my life from now on. Change me, God, from the inside out. If that's you this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. I want you to just, I know it takes difficulty, especially if you think, what are people going to think about me? I taught them in Sunday school. It doesn't matter. You know what they're going to think if they're a believer? Praise God. That's what they're going to think. Hallelujah. That's what they're going to think. And so whenever we have this time of invitation, I'm going to pray. And then as soon as I say amen, we're going to stand together. And when we do, I just want you to take the courage, step out, come forward, and say, I need to trust Jesus Christ. I've never been changed. I know a lot about him. But I want to move beyond information. And I want to be transformed by the gospel. Heavenly Father, God, I pray this morning, even as we know you are in this place, God, I pray for the one who's here, the one who's like me, who grew up in church, was in church, heard the gospel over and over and over again, even taught the gospel to other people, only to come to a place where I realized that I had a whole lot of information, but I had never been transformed by it. God, I pray this morning would be that morning. That person who's nervous about messages like this, because every time it happens, they get worked up. They get nervous because they know deep down inside that they haven't really been changed. Lord, give them, give them the courage, give them the truth, give them the promise to stand on, to know that, Lord, if they step out in faith to trust you, you will never let them down. God, you will, you will save them, you will make them new. Lord God, I pray that whatever needs to be done, it would be done for your glory and your glory alone. Give them the courage to step out and come forward. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.